This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu for more information. The ongoing takeover battle between Microsoft and Yahoo has taken several surprising turns over the past few weeks. After rejecting Microsoft's unsolicited $44.6 billion offer in late February, Yahoo has announced a two-week ad testing program with its main search rival, Google, and has reportedly entertained a possible merger with Time Warner's AOL. Meanwhile, Microsoft was rumored to be considering News Corp as a possible ally in acquiring Yahoo. While spectators wait for the next twist in this saga, another headline-making deal has been announced a merger between Delta and Northwest Airlines, to become the world's largest airline. Knowledge at Wharton spoke with Wharton Management Professor Saikot Chaudhary and Wharton Legal Studies Professor Kevin Warbach to find out whether these deals make sense and for whom. Microsoft is basically giving Yahoo three weeks to accept its current offer or face a proxy battle. It's a very aggressive stance. Uh, what do you think of this strategy? Saikot, let's start with you. Well, you know, I think they've waited patiently for quite some time um, to see whether Yahoo would come to the negotiating table. And now they want to move things forward because this can't continue endlessly. Um, Yahoo hasn't indicated any uh, positive inclination so far to come and negotiate. So they're just uh, putting forward this step in order to uh, make sure there's some resolution either way. I would tend to agree with that. I don't I don't think Microsoft can sit around forever and wait for Yahoo's feelings to change or wait for something in the marketplace to change. This is a pretty major strategic deal for Microsoft. And I, I think at some point they need to signal both to Yahoo and its shareholders in the market um, that that's the way they feel about it and they're going to go forward if they can and try and close the deal. By taking this tack, does Microsoft risk losing one of Yahoo's key assets, that is, its talented employee base? Well, I think that's why they were patient for so long, and they were perhaps overly cautious um, in order to allow for Yahoo employees to see that they're not taking a very aggressive approach. I think after you know a few months pass, everyone expects some movement to be there. I'm also not sure um, whether it's going to have a negative impact. I mean, you're absolutely right in that. The sources of value are a lot in the people here as well as the customers that Yahoo has. But see, Yahoo hasn't performed up to expectations for some time now. And I would imagine that there certainly is a very loyal group of supporters who sticks to uh, Jerry Yang no matter what. But then there is also a group which is perhaps a little demoralized given that they don't see much movement. And they may be uh, willing to move forward in a deal as well and perhaps uh, uh, go forward with Microsoft. So uh, I think it's it's the right move from that point of view. Yeah, I was going to lose some important employees no matter what. I mean, these are people who don't want to work for Microsoft. It's they, They're people who think of Microsoft as the evil empire. And that, that has nothing to do with um, the nature of the acquisition, whether it's hostile or friendly. Um, so I think, frankly, those those people will leave anyway um, at this point. You know, If they want to close the deal, they need to go on with it. Kevin, how much at this point does it seem that pushing this deal through <clears throat> is a matter of um, of ego for Steve Ballmer? <laughs> <laughs> um, I wouldn't say ego. I would say it's a very important deal personally for Steve Ballmer. He's not going to be running this company forever. Bill Gates has already stepped away recently from basically active involvement in Microsoft. You know, Ballmer is, you know, this is his last chance for a real signature move. He understands that the industry is changing 
Um, and so I, I don't think he had to make this deal, but I think once he decided that this was a direction they were going to go, it's it's his stamp on it. So I think it's it's not just a matter of ego. It's it's a matter of this is his last signature move in terms of how he's going to leave Microsoft, whether it's to Ray Ozzie or to whoever else comes after that. I agree with that. And I think that, uh, you know, if anything, Microsoft's been criticized for not um, taking more aggressive steps in the past to compete with uh, Google and uh, and improve their presence on the internet and the web space and so forth. And so now they decided that they're going to do a very credible, serious move in that direction. So um, they're just trying, uh, moving it towards this logical conclusion. So I think it's about that. It's a very rational move, in my opinion, for them to do something. Because if you look at it, both Yahoo and Microsoft combined could actually be some force against Google and the Internet, especially in the advertising space. And alone, they've been struggling for quite a few years now. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's an important question in terms of just how successful the deal will be. But in terms of the Microsoft's approach... They're a very aggressive, very paranoid, but very calculating company. They don't do things just on emotions. Um, they do things uh, because they really feel like it's in their interest. Well, what do you think of, uh, of uh, Yahoo's highly publicized test of using Google's AdSense service on its site? Well, first of all, can, can you explain what they're hoping, what the actual test is, what they're doing with it, and sort of what they might hope to get from it? I'll let that first part go to Kevin. Sure. So, so both Yahoo and Google uh, have services that, that monetize searching. They, they match advertisers who pay to be matched with people searching for different things on the Internet. Google's uh, search uh, ad matching technology just works better than Yahoo's or anyone else's. It converts more. Advertisers like it better. Yahoo did a, a sort of crash course project called Panama to improve their service. It didn't really move the needle very much. So this is partly just trying out a different uh, technology that, that everyone agrees is the, the, the gold standard in the industry. But obviously, there, there's more to it than that in this current environment. Google is the competitor that, that clearly Microsoft is trying to buy Yahoo in part to compete against. Um, so it's, it's definitely also a shot across the bow. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, Yahoo's been trying to search for other alternative uh, options uh, in the last couple of months ever since this offer came up. So they're still searching for that option. I think this is a, a tactic in that direction. Um, nothing has emerged very concretely. No white knight has emerged or the alliances seem unlikely. But nonetheless, I think they are. this is a credible signal that they are looking for exploring other opportunities and um, perhaps even hoping that this might uh, increase the offer a little bit from Microsoft to uh, find, make a convincing case. Let's look at some of the other deals that are reportedly under consideration. Yahoo and Time Warner were reportedly talking about folding AOL's internet operations into Yahoo. Uh, would that make sense? I don't think it would be a more attractive option. <laughs> I think it's a way for uh, AOL uh, to survive in that space, but also for Yahoo to stay independent. So if, if, you, if you think about options where Yahoo would be able to remain independent, that's something which is, uh, can be taken uh, fairly seriously and looks quite good. But if you don't agree with the basic premise that Yahoo can survive on their own, then I think the Microsoft uh, offer looks much more attractive. Yeah, and, and Yahoo's view all along has been uh, Microsoft undervalues the company, and it still has a lot of legs as a, as a going concern as an independent business. So I think Shaikat is, is right. AOL and some of the other rumored deals, getting News Corp involved, uh, even the partnership with Google are all ways that don't involve submerging Yahoo into a larger entity as the Microsoft deal would. 
Can we talk a little bit about Microsoft, this rumor about Microsoft's teaming up with News Corp? What, what's that all about? Psych up, do you want to? Uh, some sort of joint offer, joint bid um, in the works, perhaps to sweeten it for Yahoo or, you know, maybe to help with the financing of the deal. Um, I think, honestly, it would be very complicated, um, not perhaps to pull off from the point of view of striking a deal, though that is one consideration, but especially how would the you know post-acquisition arrangement look like? You know, I, I just am not comfortable with the idea from that point of view. You know, how would... Uh, News Corp then uh, think about this, who would own which piece and manage and influence what piece. I I think it's a constellation which was thought about to perhaps make it more attractive or help perhaps increase the bid, but uh, it would be very complicated to implement. Yeah, Rupert Burdock has a tremendous track record of basically injecting his company in a very effective strategic way into basically every aspect of the media landscape and every key transition. Um, and so they're they're very savvy and very smart. Um, they have some real important assets. Um, yeah, I'm also not clear that it's that that would make sense for either Microsoft or Yahoo. Um, but we have to remember we're, we're at the sort of mating dance of the dinosaurs here. These are all the big players see assets in play now that are valuable to them um, in the future of the digital economy. So pretty much everyone is, is mobilizing uh, to get into this fight. Would the complexity of these deals be a severe handicap to the merger should it go through? I mean, surely it's a large deal with established players. There's some hostility between them. They're competitors right now. But if they can unite and rally around the common objective of successfully competing against Google, that might be a strong unifying force. Um, so I think if that need becomes clear to both sides, which is very, I think is very clear to Microsoft, but if that need becomes clear to the Yahoo employees as well, and they decide to stick and, are conv- and can be convinced that uh, joining forces with Microsoft would indeed be the right answer, I think some of those challenges can be overcome. And then, of course, you have to figure out common processes, um, post-merger organizational structures. In that, I actually see an opportunity because Microsoft could actually open up a strong presence in Silicon Valley should they choose. So, for instance, instead of running the Internet advertising operations out of Redmond, they could conceive of some sort of reverse integration where MSN essentially would be folded into uh, Yahoo with a strong uh, and a large office and presence in the Silicon Valley area that would also go some ways to alleviating the concerns that people have about, oh, here's that big giant, big bad kind of player that comes in and brings everybody to Redmond and stifles ideas. If that's the perception that some have, they could counter that as well, both internally and externally. So I I do see some opportunities there as well. Yeah, I don't really think any of that ultimately matters. I think that both of these companies face a fundamental challenge that the industry is going through a transition and they're, they're stuck uh, you know, on, on the outside chair and musical chairs. Microsoft is a software company. Yahoo is basically a, a an online new media company. And the world is moving to web-based services, basically the place where Google right now is is at the center and dominating. Um, and they're both smart companies. They have smart executives. They understand that. Um, that's, I think, part of the reason that this deal is, is being bandied about. I don't think the deal solves that problem. I, I think it puts two companies together that have some complementary assets. And, and absolutely, there, there would be smarter ways to do the integration, to, to take advantage of it. But fundamentally, uh, I don't see, you know, no matter how simple or complex it is, how this deal gets the merged company to a point where they can really compete effectively in this new world. So if you were Steve Ballmer, what would you do, Kevin? 
Well, I would certainly call the Wharton School first and ask for our <laughs> advice. But um, um, no, I, you know, to the extent that he has made this call, and who, who am I to second guess Steve Ballmer? He's, he's, he's a brilliant, uh, extraordinary business executive. Um, if they've gotten to this point of feeling that they need a Yahoo, that they've taken a look internally and said, we are not going to make this transition from being a software company that builds you know, packaged software and operating systems into a web-based services company, because they've really been trying. If the conclusion internally is we couldn't get there alone, then by all means, go for it. I mean, Yahoo is probably their best chance to actually change things, even if, if you know, outsiders like me are pessimists, they'll get there. Um, go for it. Give it a shot. I agree. I mean, I think that uh, Microsoft needs to do something in order to strengthen its presence in that area. This represents a fantastic opportunity. They've started it. So I think they should uh, also, for reputation's sake, um, given uh, given that this is quite a, a rational move for them, I think they should draw, uh, move towards its logical conclusion. So let's flip the question. So if you're Jerry Yang, what would you do in this case? <laughs> Try and squeeze out the best offer possible. I think that, uh, you know, he's doing some good tactical moves, but I would start sending a few feelers out um, because at some point your own stakeholders, and I'm saying not just shareholders, but also other stakeholders, such as some employees, might begin to question um, why you're not, you know, trying to at least extract a good offer in the absence of alternative uh, offers, and also the fact that this does represent a good premium and a very good opportunity. I would start doing it, but of course, you play the tactical game in order to squeeze out the best value that you can and move towards whatever valuation they think is fair um, for their side. I think that's right. He's he's in a very tough position. Look, he co-founded this company. It's an extraordinary entrepreneurial success story. Um, and yet he's got to see the writing on the wall. And, and I don't think anyone – I mean, Yahoo is still a growing, profitable company, has a lot of incredibly successful businesses, tremendous number of users and so forth. I think it's been enough time over the past few years to suggest that it's, it's going to be hard for them to just pull out of the slide that they're in on their own. And, and so it, it's a difficult thing, I think, both personally and, and as a leader. But I think he needs to – make that transition, uh, whatever the outcome is, whether it's Microsoft or something else that, that helps the organization understand that. Hmm. So how do you think this is going to play out in the end? I think Microsoft wins in the end because they're, they're relentless. And, and, I, and, and again, I can't think that they've come this far without having made the decision that this is a bet the company deal. Uh, and if that's the case, they're not going to give up until they win. I agree. I think that's going to be the outcome that uh, Microsoft buys Yahoo. Great. Well, let's turn to another merger that's making headlines, the one between uh, Delta and Northwest Airlines. Uh, does this merger make sense? I'm happy to see it uh, finally uh, materialize. And the reason is these airlines have been struggling for some time. And, uh, you know, with the oil prices being as high as they are, they have to try and extract synergies um, on the cost side in order to go anywhere. Um, and I don't see oil prices coming down substantially. Uh, so I think this is a new reality they have to deal with. Uh, the reason I like this particular solution with Northwest and Delta is also because it's clean from the point of view that it's within an alliance. And uh, the complementarities are fantastic. Delta has a strong franchise uh, in Latin America. And more recently, they've built it up in the Atlantic routes. Northwest is strong in the Pacific routes. So from that point of view, I think they fit well together. Um, and uh, there, I think this will also lead to further consolidation. But uh, we can talk about that a little bit later. 
Yeah, I, I don't have much to add to that. I'm not an expert on the airline industry per se, but but I will say it, it is another industry where scale matters, uh, probably even more so than in technology. Scale is very important in the Microsoft Yahoo deal, but but with airlines, there, there's just such extraordinarily high fixed costs. I mean, as, as Jack, I was saying, the fuel and the planes and so forth. Um, that, that typically a, you know, an effective merger can actually create some economies of scale. Hmm. So that said, are, can we expect other mergers from the big carriers? I think so. I think what will happen now is that others are not going to sit back and, and watch them be the largest carrier or potentially reap rewards. Uh, now, of course, these integrations are going to be complex because uh, unions are involved and uh, and so forth. But uh, I think the next one that probably might uh, occur is something like United with Continental. For similar reasons, Continental's built a bit of a uh, an Atlantic franchise. They have an East Coast presence. They have a bit of Latin America. United is stronger on the West Coast and has done some more on the uh, uh, Pacific routes. And in that case, what you went might it might work nicely because Continental would then come or could then come into Star Alliance. Um, because unlike Delta, they're not a founding member of SkyTeam. So they could come into Star Alliance, which would work very well. They'd be welcomed because uh, Star Alliance, and especially Lufthansa and the others, have really been looking for a New York area hub. So that would work. Uh, then the question, though, becomes um, if that were to happen, I mean, this is all hypothetical, then will American Airlines sit back, having been the largest carrier, or will it try and do some kind of smaller deal uh, like U.S. Airways perhaps? Um, but, you know, a lot of this is also subject to regulatory approval. So it's not as though these are going to sail through automatically. It'll take six, eight months to get them approved. And there will be some redistribution of hubs and assets and routes and so forth. So we kind of have to see it collectively. I think what, the, what they'll do is basically a few of these will be announced and then it'll all be evaluated together to try and optimize on a macro level. Yeah, the, the antitrust review is going to be very significant because it, this is already an industry that's consolidated a lot, and, and, and I agree, it's potentially going to consolidate a lot more. Um, and that involves law but also politics. So it, it will depend uh, almost certainly who's in the White House next mm -hmm. year and what the posture is of their Justice Department um, and which deal goes first. Um, so a lot of that is, is hard to read right now. Obviously, we have a presidential election coming up where you know the outcome will, will have a significant effect here. It, it's hard to see all the deals going through. On the other hand, to the extent a major deal like like the Northwest Delta one goes through, and and again, I'm not a, an expert per se in this area, but it, it sounds like the expectation is that it would. Um, then it's harder every every step down the road for the Justice Department to say this next deal is that much worse than the previous one. Even if you look back, and and it wasn't that long ago that we've had airline mergers scuttled because of regulatory review. Now, this merger announcement came after our four of the smaller airlines shut down. So are we going to see a lot more fallout, you know, among the smaller discount carriers, do you think? Psychot yeah, it's hard to say um, what their posturing will be. Um, I do think, though, that everybody's struggling a little bit, uh, so they'll have to consider these things. But it's, I, I primarily see the cost bases of the full-service carriers being the ones which are most challenging, and they're the ones who are facing competition from the low-cost airlines. Mm -hmm. So most of the activity will be there. But, yeah, I mean, they can start considering options for themselves um, amongst the low-cost carriers, but there aren't too many opportunities left there, as you're alluding to. Uh, some of them have folded. So uh, I'm not. it's hard for me to predict what will happen on that front. Yeah, I'm, I'm thankful I'm not in the airline industry. <laughs> you, can, you can make a lot of money in good times, but it is, it is really challenging, um, and, and it's hard to see it getting 
less challenging going forward. And is fuel the major impediment right now, would you say? Or are there other issues that, are, that would drive consolidation or some of these closings? Labor costs were the other issue, but I think after all, everyone went through bankruptcy <laughs> protection, they worked on that angle. Right now, fuel is the, uh, uh, has become the largest uh, cost for these airlines. Yeah. How will this, uh, this merger affect consumers, do you think? Kevin, it's it's hard to say. I, I don't think most consumers, at least in, in America, are terribly happy with the airline industry, um, and so it's it's hard to see the consolidation per se making them happier. Except to the extent that the merged company um, decides to you know try to invest more in improving service quality, um, they use some of those efficiencies that that they would get from the merger um, to improve customer service, or to the extent either they or one of the other major carriers decides to make that a point of emphasis. Um, I mean, I, again, not, not speaking as, a, as a, a business school professor, just as a, as a, a person who flies airlines, uh, it certainly seems like a lot of people would pay another 10 or 20 or even $50 on a, a transcontinental round-trip ticket for just the level of, of, of food and service and, and legroom that they, they got 10 or 15 years ago. Um, and, and it seems like there should be an opportunity there, but there, there's a lot of complexity, of course, that, within the industry that makes it hard to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think so as well. Hopefully they will do some of that. Otherwise, the immediate fear is, of course, higher prices if uh, there's uh, further consolidation in the industry. I mean, if we look at it from the point of view that we want airlines to survive, um, then for the consumer it's good for them to merge so that they can at least try and get some of these efficiencies but secondarily, I think so. I think in recent times, and by that I mean the last few months, there has been an effort again to uh, try and um, increase or at least give some thought to uh, better service on board and uh, bring some pillows back and the like, you know. So, but we all fly uh, often from East Coast to West Coast uh, overnight and uh, or during the day and, and would like uh, at least a, a hot meal on that plane. I wouldn't mind shelling out another 10, 20, or perhaps 30 or 40 bucks for it, as irrational as that may sound. But I think the trouble is what Kevin is really alluding to is that the airlines have dissected the market into two groups. And I think there's a third group they're forgetting. They've thought about either the first-class traveler or they've thought about um, the extremely price-conscious traveler on the other end. They haven't thought about the medium or high-end economy traveler, I'll call them, uh, who's willing to pay a little more. They won't just go with the cheapest option because it's $5 or $10 cheaper. And I think that's certainly an area, whether through a premium economy or through um, you know, introducing some service levels again that you would have previously, I think that's an area that I can only hope, like Kevin says, uh, that some of these efficiencies will then uh, turn into um, positive service improvements. So so given this, the, the, the current economy, how would you, if you're an airline, go about making a profit? Well, I, I, I think well, no, I think I think there's an opportunity in what we're saying, and, and of course, it depends on what what size airline you are and what what cost structure you have. I mean, there, you know, there's Southwest for a number of years profited when all of its competitors didn't, just because they executed better in lots of ways. Some of it was structural, some of it was just decisions they made about hedging fuel prices and so forth. Um, but I, I, I would agree. I think this. I think the opportunity is um, if you can't be the, the the absolute low cost company, and that's just really hard to to do and to pull off consistently. Um, find a way to get people to have brand loyalty, which which hardly anyone has in the airline industry. And and again, to go back to the the technology field, Amazon.com is not the cheapest place to buy books. Mm-hmm. Hasn't been for a very long time. It's it's cheaper than a bookstore, but there are plenty of online booksellers. 
that undercut Amazon's price, people still go there because they have a good experience, they have loyalty, and Amazon has done a lot to cultivate that. Um, I think an airline that executed that strategy would, would have a much more enduring competitive advantage than one that just focused on just a little bit better yield management, a little bit better cost cutting. Yeah, and I think the tremendous opportunity now is if you have these consolidated networks um, by combining airlines, you truly have global uh, coverage. And with that, you know, we all know that the margins are higher uh, in the international sectors, both transatlantic and transpacific. Um, so if one can position oneself as a good global carrier with many options to connect to smaller places and then harmonize the service a little bit so somebody who comes on a transatlantic flight and enjoys somewhat of a decent quality of service doesn't get shocked when they land at a hub and fly another four hours to go to San Francisco, for instance, from the East Coast um, with a completely different level of service, they could reposition themselves and they could tap not into you know the complete leisure traveler who uh, travels once or twice a year, but really, okay, global business travel, and we know that a lot of it's not just in business class, but it's also in economy class given the state of the economy nowadays, and, uh, and certainly technology companies and startups make use of that. I think that's a positioning that can now be done, um, especially as part of these larger networks and global alliances, which the low-cost carriers don't have. So I agree with that. I think fundamentally they need to uh, orient their strategy again um, or reorient their strategy, not just to try and emulate and copy what the low-cost carriers are doing, but really to try and find a niche for themselves and, and to position themselves accordingly. Yeah, and one other piece of this, again, to get back to government, part of the reason flying is so much worse of an experience now is this post-9-11 security climate, and certainly people coming in from overseas, the, you know, the, the difficulty of, of getting in, uh, arriving in the United States. Certainly security is, is critically important, and, I, and, and it's, it's obviously important for the government and for the, the private companies to ensure that terrorism is, is prevented and so forth. There's a great deal that, that we do that makes flyers' lives worse, that doesn't make security any better, and in some ways makes it worse. And, and again, with an election coming up, whichever party, this is not a partisan thing, but if, if someone comes into the White House who makes this uh, you know, an issue to ensure that we you know, appropriately find ways to be secure while not stepping on the toes of people flying, I, I think that will help the carriers as well. Good. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Both thank, you. thank you. Thank you. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.